uh, and I to hear this psalm uh, this morning. So uh, may he give us grace uh, to understand how to apply it in our lives, what it looks like uh, for us uh, as we contemplate this psalm together. It's one that's uh, been on my heart lately because of the nature of waiting on the Lord, which seems to be a lot of the Psalms. Uh, so we're going to start there. Uh, if you would, just stand with me as we read Psalm 77 together. And as you're standing, I want to remind you, we're going to hit on this a little bit, but there's these uh, Hebrew words throughout this Psalm at the end of a certain phrase. I don't know how you pronounce it. I think it's Salah, but that's probably... Uh, Tennessee hillbilly slant to that. Um, but it means, scholars think it means uh, to rest. So in other words, pause and think about what was said. So as I read this, I'm going to pause for a few seconds when that hits, uh, just for us to think about what was just read, and then we'll, we'll continue our way through the psalm. Psalm 77 says, I cry aloud to God, aloud to God, and he will hear me. In the day of my trouble, I seek the Lord. In the night, my hand is stretched out without wearying. My soul refuses to be comforted. When I remember God, I moan. When I meditate, my spirit faints. You hold my eyelids open. I am so troubled that I cannot speak. I considered the days of old, the years long ago. I said, let me remember my song in the night. Let me meditate in my heart. Then my spirit made a diligent search. Will the Lord spurn forever and never again be favorable? Has his steadfast love forever ceased? Are his promises at an end for all time? Has God forgotten to be gracious? As he in anger shut up his compassion. Then I said, I will appeal to this, to the years of the right hand of the Most High. I will remember the deeds of the Lord. Yes, I will remember your wonders of old. I will ponder on your work and meditate on your mighty deeds. Your way, O God, is holy. What God is great like our God? You are the God who works wonders. You have made known your might among the peoples. You, with your arm, redeemed your people, the children of Jacob and Joseph. When the waters saw you, O God, when the waters saw you, they were afraid. Indeed, the deep trembled. The clouds poured out water. The skies gave forth thunder. Your arrows flashed on every side. The crash of your thunder was in the whirlwind. Your lightnings lighted up the world. The earth trembled and shook. Your way was through the sea, your path through the great waters. Yet, your footprints were unseen. You led your people like a flock by the hand of Moses and Aaron. This is the word of the Lord. Let me, let me pray for us. Jesus, Holy Spirit, Father, we ask for your presence. Lord, we're, we're going to uh, sit in something that we often 
uh, as followers of Jesus don't talk about or don't contemplate. So I pray this morning that you would use your word to transform us, transform our lives, our habits, our thinking, the way we love others through this. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. So, we have just now come to an end of what could be called a one and a half year granted sabbatical from the Lord. A year and a half sabbatical that he gave the whole world. Some are still in that. Uh, What did God do in the space that he provided for you? What happened in that time frame when you think back to March of 2020 and you think, man, what? when the world came to a halt, I was going 90 miles an hour and all of a sudden the brake was hit and now I'm going one mile an hour. And for, in some sense, all of us entered into uh, really the space of God, the, the pace of God. Uh, I titled this sermon, The One Mile an Hour God. What is it about our hurried lives that struggled so much when the pandemic hit that we really didn't know what to do with the time and the space that God had provided And so I want to examine kind of that idea for a moment uh, this morning. And really what what prompted this for me was, um, obviously, Paul Miller's been influential in my life as uh, I do ministry with him and just learned from him. He started talking uh, a few years ago about this idea called uh, Jesus provides space. And I was like, Paul, I have no idea what you're talking about. So I called him up, and he spent time on the phone with me explaining this idea. And, and then all of a sudden, I started seeing it all the way, all over Scripture. And so as you guys know, as I've, as I've preached here before, um, I love to bring in the Gospels. I, I think when Paul says, uh, I preach Christ and him crucified, that Paul is not just saying, I preach the cross, but I pre- preach the entire life, breadth, and depth of Jesus' life, his death and his resurrection. And so, as I start to understand the person of Jesus, it actually opens up all of Scripture for us. As we start to think about the ways in which Jesus, I watch Jesus in the, in the Gospels provide space for people. So, let me give you a few examples. In John 9, uh, Jesus is, uh, goes to a blind man who's been blind from birth. We don't know how old he was. I think possibly around 40 years old in one account. But 40 years, this man sat blind at a gate. And at some point, for some reason, Jesus decides to go heal this man on a particular day. And if you follow the story of John 9, John 9 is actually the story of the man born blind is quite fascinating. John gives a, a really long chapter of great detail of John 9. And the interesting thing about it is Jesus kind of heal, it says, puts mud on his eyes, go wash in the pool of Siloam, and then Jesus disappears from the scene. 
You're like, where did Jesus go? And over the series of events that transpires, we get to the end of that, and the blind man is confronted by the Pharisees, and his faith grows more bold. And they start asking him questions. He's like, oh, so you want to be his disciples too? It's really a humorous chapter at the end of it. And he gives him space, and Jesus comes back on the scene at the end when the man's been kicked out of the synagogue and re-enters his life. What, what was going on in that man's heart and mind during that space or during the years where he's waiting to be healed? From birth, he's been blind. So incarnate with that man for a moment. Incarnate maybe with the paralyzed man who sat 38 years at the pool of Bethesda, just waiting to be healed. You know what's interesting about that? 38 years. How old is Jesus at the time when he heals the man at the pool of Bethesda? Probably he started his ministry at 30, so somewhere between 30 and 33. That means that these men's lives overlapped for 30 years. But Jesus just now enters that pool and brings healing to that man incarnate with that man. What was he wrestling with, with God? What was, what was going on in his heart as he waited for 38 years to be healed? Maybe you're waiting on something. And God's doing something. The Spirit's doing something in your life as you just sit and you wait on a one-mile-an-hour God. We don't talk about this often, I don't think, with our kids or in our lives at the pace of God that, it, that can be slow and frustrating in our lives. You know, think about Mark 5, the bleeding woman. She waited 12 years to be healed. Here's what's fascinating about that story is that Jesus, this happened in Capernaum, and Jesus made Capernaum his hometown. It's kind of like after Nazareth, he moved to Capernaum and lived there a while. Rebecca and I lived in Cookful, including college, 20 years. Now we've been in Chattanooga 10 years. Like, this is our hometown now. That's kind of how Jesus lived in Capernaum. He preached in the synagogue. He knew Jairus when Jairus came up to him. It wasn't the stranger that was coming up to, to him to ask him. Jesus had preached in the synagogue. He knew who Jairus was. He'd spent a lot of time in Capernaum. It's likely that Jesus knew Again, this is conjecture, but it's likely that Jesus knew this bleeding woman. He knew that she had been struggling with that for 12 years. Why did Jesus wait? What was he waiting on? What was he doing by allowing that woman to have that space of waiting before he entered into her life and brought healing? We could go on and on. What was it like for her? What questions was she asking as she waited for 12 years? What struggle and wrestling was she doing with the Lord in the time of that space? We could go on and on of different examples of Simon and the sinful woman. And uh, Jesus presents a parable and asks Simon a question, then just lets the question sit. The rich young ruler, Jesus comes to him and Jesus asks him a question and the man leaves sad. Jesus doesn't chase after him. He just lets it sit. And some scholars believe that the, the rich young ruler actually ends up being Mark, the writer of the gospel. You can explore that idea on your own. 
He just leaves space. He, he leaves his friend Lazarus laying in a tomb for three days and their family mourning. What is he doing? What is this one mile an hour God doing by leaving space for us? He's never in a rush. So knowing this about Jesus, we've backed our way now into this psalm. Look at the psalm with me and how it begins. How does the psalmist deal with the one mile an hour God? The God who provides space. Look at the way he begins this. It's not this articulate, uh, oh, thou art holy, uh, like a lot of the other psalms. It's, I cry aloud to God, aloud to God, and he will hear me. In my day of trouble, I seek the Lord. My right hand is stretched out like he's weary. He says, I can't even hold my eyelids open. When I think about God, I moan. When I meditate, my spirit faints. How often do we come to God? Eric introduced this well, right? The honesty of the psalmist, where he just comes and he cries out to God. Somewhere in our southern cultural Christianity, we have lost the lament and we've lost the ability to be honest with God and just go, God, where are you? What are you doing? Why are you doing this? All those kind of questions and struggles and crying out. If we could incarnate with this psalmist, what's going on in his world? What's going on in the psalmist's world? We don't really know. But what, what would you say? What condition would he be in? Would you characterize him as, hey, man, he's having just an awesome day? Not at all. Hey, he is in deep soul search and struggle and wrestling with God. So, friends, you're free to be honest with God. You're free to say, I don't know what you're doing. You're free to cry out. You're free to do those things. I mean, look at, the, look at verse 6 with me. His spirit is searching. He went on a diligent search because this suffering that he's in is continuing and he wants an answer. He wants something to happen. He wants the one mile an hour God to speed up to 90 miles an hour. He's like, God, where, where are you? What's going on? I said, let me remember my song in the night. Let me meditate in my heart. Then my spirit made a diligent search. I love this. Have you, have you ever just sat in an in a issue, in a struggle, and just went on a search? Went on a search, and I, you know what's really cool about the way this guy searches? It's like a kid's treasure hunt. He just starts asking questions. He just starts asking God questions. Look at the questions he, he asks. Will the Lord, he asks five questions. Will the Lord spurn forever and never again be favorable? These aren't rhetorical questions. These are real questions. Has his steadfast love forever ceased? He's in anguish, wondering, Lord, are your promises at an end of all time? 
Have you forgotten to be gracious? Is your compassion just stopped? I love the freedom to ask God questions. Rebecca and I, uh, our first child, I don't, I think I've probably mentioned this to you, this congregation before. Our first child was born with congenital heart defects and she passed away at three and a half months old at Vanderbilt Hospital. It was obviously a soul-searching question-asking time for us. And I can remember kind of in my, my uh, really good Christian little bubble, I was really scared for some reason to ask, the, ask God the question, why? And I think I even wrestled with it with one person, and they said, yeah, you shouldn't ask that question. Now, look at this guy's questions, and I think, man, he's giving me freedom. I remember, I remember I Rebecca, I don't know if you remember this, a guy named Phil Parsons was a kind of a mentor of mine for years, visited us in the hospital, and I was telling Phil I was wrestling with this, really struggling with it, uh, and he just said, Robert, God's bigger than your questions. I don't remember much during that time of other people saying things, but I remember that. Because it was so freeing to just be able to ask God questions. So kids, parents, grandparents, like, you're free to ask God the hardest questions in the world. He's a big boy. He can handle them. <laughs> he can handle it. Okay, so if you're, if you're squirming a little bit and you think, man, there's some questions I just don't know that I can ask God. I just don't know if we should be asking God these questions. The final proof is Jesus Christ hanging on the cross. One of his final words, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Do we think for a moment that Jesus is just reciting Psalm 22 for fun? Jesus is in anguish. His soul is in torment. And he loves and he knows he has the love of the Father and he's free to struggle with his Father in that moment. Friend, you're free to struggle with God. You're free to wrestle with him. There are some unhealthy ways to wrestle with God. There's, there's lots of ways. The one way I unhealthily wrestle with God is I turn inward. And I get tangled up in myself inside when struggle and strife and trouble hits. And sometimes that limits me from being able to engage with my Lord and ask questions and think about the space he's providing for me. Maybe you're somebody who, when the struggle hits and the unhealthy ways hit, you kind of have the garden reaction, which is Adam and Eve had struggle and, and then they hid and they withdrew and they ran away, right? They had this space with God on a daily basis. And then when trouble hit, they didn't want the space anymore. But God in his kindness draws people who are withdrawing back to himself, maybe Another unhealthy 
reaction to the space that God provides is just bitterness. Or maybe it's cynicism. Man, we could do, let me tell Jimmy, like you could do a six-week series on cynicism. It is the air our culture breathes right now. Cynicism is alive and well. Maybe you've been through struggle, you've been through stuff, and God's not answering. And so the cynicism in you just keeps getting deeper. You're like, what's the use of prayer? What's the use of asking the questions he never answers? What's the use of the space he's providing? Forget that. I'm not going to think about the space he's providing. I'm just going to fill it up with a bunch of stuff. I'm going to stay busy so I don't have to think about the troubles and the space he's providing. Lots of unhealthy ways that we do this. But the healthy way the psalmist gives us is that this is a prayer. He spends time crying out to the Lord. This is the space that God provides is is a place where the Spirit does his best work. Think about Think about what happens in verse 10. He's wrestled with God. We have these rests. Look at verse 10. Then he says, I will appeal to this, to the years of the right hand of the Most High, to the strength. The right hand refers to the strength of the Lord. And then look what he says. I will remember the deeds of the Lord. I will remember your wonders of old. I will ponder on your works. I will meditate on your works. What, what's happened to the psalmist? As he's wrestled and waited in the space, what's emerged while he's waiting on God, the one mile an hour God, to actually go? Something's emerged in him. Faith has emerged in him. God has provided space for him, and faith is starting to blossom. Fruit is starting to be born out of all that he will do. I will appeal. I will remember. I will ponder. I will meditate. He remembers the space that God provides as he talks about Jacob and Joseph. He he remembers the space that God provided 400 years of slavery and what God was doing in that time. Can you incarnate with an Israelite waiting 400 years for God to answer Generation after generation. What must it have been like for them to wait on the Lord? And he gives this really beautiful thing that happens is that faith starts emerging. Why was God providing space? Why does God allow you to sit in the struggle and to give you space? Because he loves to watch you get to the bottom and your neediness and your weakness. And then you, like the bleeding woman, finally get to a place where Jesus is in the crowd and you just reach up to grab his garment. And that's all you can do. He's masterful in all his ways. And giving us space to struggle and wrestle and to allow faith to emerge is 
one of his grand designs that's really hard to understand. But look how the psalmist starts remembering and thinking upon the faithfulness of God. And then he remembers his character in verse 13 and 14. He starts talking about his, his character that emerges out of nowhere. It's, it's like this, what is it about the silence and the pace of God that brings out this contemplation of who he is and what he's been like in the, the anchor of the past? I think Jesus says it well when he says, truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Jesus provides dying for us to bear fruit. Jesus provided a pandemic so that his church would bear more fruit. Do we believe that? Or do we just go, man, I'm really things are glad, glad things are back to normal. Like what? What was God's design in this whole thing? What fruit of the Spirit is being bore because of the sabbatical, the suffering and the struggle that we went through for a year and a half? It wasn't 400 years. A year and a half. What fruit is being born out of that? You know, you think about the, the power of what he talks about in verses 14 through 19. I really love this when he talks about the wonders of God. He starts contemplating the most uh, glorious Old Testament redemption stories, the crossing of the Red Sea. Isn't that, isn't that the craziest story? I mean, think about the sea is parted. Uh, he adds either, either this is uh, poetic license that he's adding some details here that we don't have in Exodus. But, but you think about the yesterday our family was sitting on the bleachers over at the old middle school watching this storm blow in, and the clouds were just really cool, and, I, and then it started pouring on us. And then uh, it says, when the waters saw you, O God, when the waters saw you, they were afraid. Indeed, the deep trembled. The clouds poured out water from the skies and gave forth thunder. The arrows flashed at every side. The crash of thunder was in the whirlwind. The lightnings lighted up the world and the earth trembled and shook. Your way was through the sea and the paths of the great waters. And I love the end of 19. Yet your footprints were unseen. So he, he's contemplating and looking back and he realizes God is a God who's in the whirlwind. God is a God who's in the, the deep waters. He's in the bolts of lightning. He's in the thunderous uh, clouds that shake the earth. And he realizes the power of God, that there's no God like our God. But it takes the space, the wrestling, for the psalmist to come to that conclusion. It's in the space, it's in the wrestling that the Spirit starts working. So when you think about 
all the new faith people that emerged in those gospel stories, the time frame that they waited, 38 years, 40 years, 12 years, Peter waiting three days from his denial of Jesus till he sees him in that boat and jumps out and swims to shore. Do you imagine what Peter was going through? God provided a space for him. And faith grew and faith blossomed and it emerged and the spirit worked. So when you're in that space, don't, don't give up on the fact that God's still working. You may not see it, right? His footprints are unseen, but he's still working. What is he doing in the space? He's allowing us to track a story. All right, it's one, one reason I love just tracking stories and learning to do that through prayer cards. Because untracked stories and untracked space kind of grows uncomfortable and forgotten. Like my brain just can't hold and track all the stories. So journaling those or writing those down or just writing a word of remembrance. So what is the Lord doing in that, in the end of that? He's, he's teaching us three things, I think. I just want you to walk away with as you imitate Jesus in, in these things. One is in your own life, uh, leave space for God. Um, I've just recently uh, listened to a book. I'm starting to listen to books rather than read them because I'm an awful reader. Um, true confession. As a pastor, I really don't like to read. I struggle to read. I had a little bit of dyslexia when I was young, and it still survives. And it just takes me forever to get through a book. So I'm much better at audible learner. So just read or listen to books. But I was listening to a book uh, by a guy named John Mark Comer entitled The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry. I recommend it. Really good. But he opens that with a, he's talking about a, a conversation that a friend of his had with Dallas Willard. And Dallas Willard, somebody asked him the question, what's the greatest enemy of spiritual life? How do I become a more spirit-filled person? And his answer was, you must, you must ruthlessly eliminate hurry from your life. Eliminate hurry from your life. God provides space to slow us down and to eliminate hurry. Leave space for God. Pray. Spend time in silence. Ask God questions. Be honest with him. Track the story. Eliminate hurry. Just wait. Just be present. Space. Leave space for you and the Lord. I understand 
I understand that we live in a capitalistic society where production is king. So, man, did you realize that if Jesus Christ was like the janitor at a school, which is probably what job he would have, um, just imagine just going around and following Jesus at the pace of his life, how slow he would be. He, would, he, would, he could not crack it as a CEO of a company. It just the, the pace would be a lot. Not saying that a CEO struggles with pace any more than a janitor does, because we all struggle with the fast pace of life, don't we, in our culture? So what does it look like for you to just slow down with the Lord and be present with him? What does it look like to imitate Jesus and give space with the Lord? What's it look like to imitate Jesus and give space to others? So just to give you an example of this, my son Tyler, I asked Tyler if I could share this illustration. Uh, my son Tyler, who's now in college, I think when he was a junior in high school, um, he just had a really, really bad day. I don't know what was going on. Uh, we couldn't really discern it, but he came into the family room and I think we just asked him a question. I said something very non-confrontational, and he just lit into me like, blah, blah. I'm like, whoa, okay, where's this coming from? I don't know where. And he just goes off so much so that my really even-killed, sweet and precious wife, who is so much like this, and I'm so much like this, um, she goes, Tyler, like, Dude, she didn't say dude. She said, Tyler, you better chill out. You're being very disrespectful to your father right now. And so I'm over there thinking, I had been thinking about um, studying on this idea of God providing space and how God did anger, how Jesus did anger. And I thought, man, I was just sitting there thinking, and not saying anything, not responding to Tyler. You know what Tyler's response was? Oh, so now you're going to give me the silent treatment. So, like, what do you do as a father? Like, blood pressure increasing, temper starting to flare. Like, I'm about to light into your rear end, right? About to go at it. Well, in that moment, I didn't say anything, right? This is one moment in a thousand that I did not enter the conflict or that I did enter the conflict. So I, I said, no, Tyler, I'm just honestly just thinking about how Jesus would handle this right now. And so Tyler's like, he storms off, goes up to his room. He's really upset. Um, Tyler is a quick repenter. And about five minutes later, he comes down, gives me a hug, says, Dad, I'm sorry. Please forgive me. I blew it. Like, of course I forgive you. But I give you that example because in one moment, I decided to trust the Spirit with my son. A thousand other moments before that, you know what I did? 
man, I entered the conflict, and it spilled over into our whole house. A rage of arguing and yelling and fighting just entered our house most other times. But in that one moment, I just provided space and let the Spirit work. And guess what? The Spirit worked. I didn't have, I call it white knuckle parenting. Like I, for once, I didn't white knuckle. I didn't grab the steering wheel and try to correct everything. I let the Spirit do His thing in the space that God provided. So trust the Spirit. Let faith emerge. It's a slower process. So eliminate hurry from your life. The last thing I wanted to share with you is just space for self. Just slow down. Slow down. Just be. Enjoy being still. Enjoy just sitting and listening to birds go crazy. Go just be present. Take a car ride. And don't turn on any music. Just ride in silence. There's another idea. Drive the speed limit. Yeah, I mean, you got to on Signal Mountain, right? But we can push it to 42, right? And we can go by, and they're not going to pull us over at 42, maybe. But here's what John Mark Comer pushes that. It's really interesting. Like, literally just try it on your way home today. Go 35 or 40, whatever the speed limit is in your direction. Just go the exact speed limit. Don't go under because it drives people crazy. But go the speed limit. And just, just watch the visceral reaction that your body has to maintain 35, 40 miles an hour. It's really actually fascinating because we live our entire life in a hurry. So just an idea. Maybe you eliminate things from your schedule. So the space provided can just help you slow down. Here's another one that most people hate. Put down your phone. Just, just put it down. Eliminate hurry from your life. It's proven scientifically the amount of information we're taking in over the constant use of our phones is creating an engine in you that it just is unhealthy. What does it look like to just slow down and embrace the space that God provides? That's what the psalmist did. Here's my last suggestion, again, from John Mark Comer. What about the Sabbath? What if today and every Sabbath you decide 
I'm not going to purchase anything. It's the one way we think, gosh, how are we going to overturn the economic pressures of things? One thing you can do is just decide, hey, I'm not going to purchase anything on Sunday. Slow down. Maybe you take in John Mark. Here's what John Mark Comer does on his Sabbath. He takes all their phones, all their laptops, all their tablets, and they put them in a cabinet for 24 hours. They're totally checked out for 24 hours. You have to be ruthless in the elimination of hurry because it's fighting against the space that God provides for the spirit to work and for faith to grow. So what might you do today to eliminate hurry? What might you do today to let God work in the space? Lots of other Ideas, techniques, things you can do. Let's encourage one another in that. Because we're all living in a hurry, pace-filled world. But I want to get to the point where uh, I am no longer hitting the gas pedal to go faster, but I'm hitting the brake because I want to live with God in a one-mile-an-hour speed zone. Uh, what about you guys? Join, join me in that adventure. It's a wrestling match. We get to wrestle together with it. Let me, let me pray for us. Jesus, thanks for time in your word. Thank you for time just to contemplate what you're doing in the space that you provide us. Thank you, Lord Jesus. I think uh, somebody said that if, that if we don't have a sabbatical and a time of space and rest that actually what ends up happening, Lord, because you love and care for us so much, uh, you force us to have a Sabbath. Uh, whether our bodies break down over the years, whether relationships just go into turmoil because we haven't given space and time, whatever the reasons, Lord Jesus, thank you for the space you provide, let us deal with it in a healthy way, in an honest way, as we spend time with you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.